Welcome to the Akashic Reading Podcast, presented by AkashicReading.com, the place where you can learn to access your soul's wisdom, or at least stop digging the hole any deeper. I'm your host, Terry Uctana, and today we'll be working through how to use your intuition practically, enhance it through practice, and retrieve your ability to truly know what you know. Hey, how did you know that? Uh, I just knew. This is the most common experience people have with intuition and psychic gifts. They're confronted with a what, which seems to be magical, non-logical, disconnected from cause and effect, or miraculous, and then they want to know the how. The answer is often shrug or, I don't know, it's just something I do. Now, There are a fair number of spiritual and or business people out there in the world teaching this method or that program, which works for them or seems to help others to tune in. And like everything out there for sale, your mileage may vary. You get what you pay for. One size does not fit all and caveat emptor. But for the most part, those who just know things have no or only a vague idea of how they know have little or no control over when they know something, and they couldn't teach it if they tried. It just seems innate or a gift. So, from the outside, it seems as if only specially gifted or selected people have or can use intuition or access extra senses. However, every human body comes with a full suite of psychic gifts. Think of this like a standard accessories package, which comes with a new car whether you want it or not. Unless there's something incredibly and immediately useful or fun, you set it aside or ignore it until something causes you to remember and possibly figure them out. Your need for such a psychic accessory can be something you have pre-planned, something which makes sense once you settle into driving this particular car, or something which becomes necessary due to extenuating circumstances. And like all the package deals, some of the items are useful, most are interesting but not very helpful, and some are relatively useless. While people talk about psychic gifts as something you can develop, this doesn't mean they appear out of thin air. They come into being along with the rest of us at the very beginning. The process of becoming embodied is a bit like baking a cake. You're mixing wet and dry ingredients in a certain ratio in order to achieve the desired results. If you add in more wet than dry, the cake is rich but dense and heavy. If you have more dry, then the cake can be light and spongy or crumbly and tasteless. Mixing the soul and the body together into a unit creates all the psychic gifts, sometimes referred to as the clairs. But more body means less opportunity for them to activate. This is the most common choice as souls who are embodying on this planet are working to deeply learn and understand themselves without the psychic input of others. Being encased in a body here, where we can fully experience ourselves emotionally as well as spiritually without harming anyone, where we can choose with whom and how much we communicate or connect and Where we're encouraged to connect allows for an accelerated learning and becoming experience. Mixing more soul than body allows the person to retain their psychic abilities. 
These can then be utilized in a variety of ways at various times and in a multitude of situations. Maturing souls choose this option when they want to practice their boundaries and connection or communication skills. They can be working on lessons around just because you can doesn't mean you should, or concerning triggers and holding space with the additional input of being able to feel, see, or be the issues the other person is processing. The clairs are the basic package of psychic gifts which everyone comes into being with. As noted, most people not only have no interest in this area, but often set up their life to avoid using them. You can think of this like an older car which has an ashtray and a lighter, but the person doesn't smoke, so they've turned the ashtray into a coin holder and punched out the lighter so they can replace it with a USB port. Western culture reinforces our disinterest in having or using these gifts. When raising children, we encourage creativity but discourage fantasy, such as imaginary friends or made-up worlds which aren't media-related. <coughs> Merchandisable. <laughs> we monitor a child's intelligence and become alarmed if they act too mature, understand situations or concepts beyond the standard for their age, or seem to know something which they couldn't possibly have seen or heard. School trains children to show their work, describe their process, and prove they're right about something. Our focus on STEM, business, and facts and statistics forms us even more succinctly into the mundane and the practical. It leaves no room for gestalt summations, reading a situation, or retrieving wisdom from within, unless it's in the service of sales and marketing where it's heralded for how it can improve the bottom line. Here's the thing, though. If we didn't have intuition and psychic gifts, we wouldn't need all these layers of suppression in order to keep them muted. Each and every one of us gets information from sources other than our eyes and ears. Part of our dream time each night is information processing about situations in our own lives, the lives of people we care about of those we don't but have to deal with, and opportunities for what might happen next. Whether we remember them or not depends on a number of things. People talk about remembering or not remembering their dreams like it's something innate, somewhat like being right-handed or left-handed. It's not really. Stress, trauma, depression, medication, exhaustion, adrenal fatigue, and much more can keep us from remembering our dreams. Others might not be able to refrain from remembering them, which brings on a different kind of fatigue, as there's never an end to the amount of information they're presented with, kind of like mail in the postal service. Each of us gets information from the world around us. Energy is also information, so anytime we're around other beings, human, animal, or plant, we're getting informed about them, ourselves, and the world we're experiencing at the moment. Most of this we screen out through a variety of means, but some still gets in, like walking into a room and getting a feeling, good, bad, or otherwise, about things, although no one has said a word, or finding an area of town, a street, or a building we just don't like and don't want to be around. Some people would be able to utilize their gifts, but the life they're living has caused or is causing issues which prevents them from doing so. Just like our regular senses, 
The body is the means by which we receive and express communication energetically. Most information of this kind is received through the back, from the nape of the neck to the tip of the sacrum. Think of this area like a radar dish. Just as it is the superhighway where our nerves insert into the spinal column in order to communicate with our brain, it's also the means by which we sense the energy signals going on around us. Ironically, our back is also the area where we, throughout our lives, push whatever it is we don't want to deal with right now, as well as carrying all of our burdens. Whether we're storing trauma, worry, difficulties in relationships, fears about what could be in the future, all of the above or something else entirely, in order to get through each day, we push these things to the back of our minds, get them behind us, move forward and don't look back, and so on. However, they don't go away through any of these processes. Instead, they fill up the back of us from heels to crown, eventually creating a thick, smoky mass like Beijing smog which we can barely exist in, let alone see through. So how do we get back in touch with this information and counteract all the social and cultural pressure? Know what you know. This is the basic foundation for psychic skills and gifts no matter what kind, what level, or what method you use to work with them. To know what you know, when you know it. Sounds simple, right? Well, it is. Unless it isn't. All of this learning as children teaches us to disregard any insights or knowing we glean from a situation which seems odd or disconnected from the facts. I call this logicking. This is when our logic brain receives what we know and then dissuades us of it by explaining how it couldn't be the truth. It seals the deal by telling us what the truth really has to be. In such stern and sometimes frightening terms, we forget we ever knew anything else. On top of all this, there are those who don't want us to know what we know, like narcissists, abusers, haters, rivals, and so on. They'll say things to knock us off balance, tell us half-truths to hide their tracks, spend enormous amounts of energy to make us think we're crazy or misunderstanding things, all the while we're knowing the truth of things, but losing our trust in our ability to know. So, how to know what you know. Step one, become mindful of when you second-guess something. Before you can form a good relationship with your knowing, you need to make yourself conscious of how you're habitually keeping yourself from knowing things. So bring these behaviors out into the light where you can take a good hard look at them. Choose a method of making notes for yourself. Small notebook, post-it notes, cell phone app, or text on a device of your choice. Make a commitment to yourself that for one full week, seven complete days, you're going to note throughout the day each time you second-guess yourself. It can be handy, if you're busy, to stop each hour and jot things down or you'll forget. There are many ways we second-guess ourselves, from overthinking, to agreeing with someone else when they disagree with us, to finding something about the subject on the internet and letting it dissuade us. In each of these cases, note what you knew, what second guess you decided on, and what or who got you there. Step two, keep noting when you second guess something 
but then connect your dreams, visions, and insights to those events. We love to cheer for the fact that truth will come out someday in some way in the world. This also happens between the logic brain and our knowing. While our conscious, lived, and experienced life may have shut us down to what we know, our soul, emotions, and body have no interest in being quiet about it or keeping it from us. So much of the information we get when we're dreaming is trying to prompt us into knowing the truth of the situations we're in and have just been through. Once we can see visually, concretely, where we're second-guessing about what and how, then the information in our dreams can make more sense. If you can remember your dreams, write them down throughout the second week without interpreting them. At the end of the second week, compare your second-guessing notes with your dreams to start seeing the truth, the patterns, and where you're being offered wisdom on how to move forward. Step three, when you feel ready, start knowing what you know. While this can seem like a mental exercise, it's actually not. Once you know a thing, you can't unknow it. And what we know guides and propels all of our actions in life, for better or worse. This is the essence of cheaters and affairs. Once their partner knows, everything changes. Even though forgiveness might happen and relationships can be repaired, the injured party is never going to not know this experience happened and their spouse is capable of violating trust. Therefore, any new phase of their relationship will include this knowing. So knowing what you know is not really an internal process. To know what you know means honoring what you know by taking action based on its wisdom. For example, if you notice someone you work with spreads gossip about others on a regular basis and kisses up to the bosses, while your brain may be making all kinds of excuses or having opinions, your knowing is this person isn't safe to be close with. While your head might be telling your heart to be more open and forgiving and understanding of this person and whatever is causing them to behave this way, your instinct is to keep out of their way and off their radar. This is a situation where you should know what you know. To do this, you should honor your instincts and keep your distance. The more you honor your knowing by acting on it, the more you'll strengthen your gifts. You may not be right 100% of the time, no one is. But this is exactly like learning a new sport or going to the gym. Doing something once doesn't make you a pro or even competent. You have to do it over and over again to build the muscle and the muscle memory. You have to learn how your unique self works and works best so you can enhance your strengths and shore up your weaknesses. So the more you act on what you know and don't reverse course, the more your gifts will unfold. This is the key to how people get so good at knowing things intuitively or psychically. While some people are talented from an early age, all have put in the hours one way or another to become skillful at using what they have and who they are. Also, it's wise to remember how we support babies in learning how to walk. We don't hold them back until they have fully prepared themselves force them to do remedial things until they are absolutely sure they will succeed the first time, and only then allow them to move forward. 
Instead, we encourage their every attempt whenever they make them. Applaud all the failures as literal steps in the right direction. Comfort them when something is startling or frightening. Protect them from harm and express jubilance once they've achieved the goal. Oh, and then move absolutely everything up to the next highest shelf as their reach just increased about 12 inches. For those who are empaths or who experience too much information or input, it can seem as if they have the opposite problem. They are inundated with what they know and have no means of dealing with it. This can cause them to use coping mechanisms, avoid crowds, limit the amount of time or kinds of activities they share with others, and struggle to process everything no matter whether it is theirs or from everyone else. However, this amounts to the same thing. Their own knowing is drowned out by the thoughts, emotions, needs, and desires of others, just like everyone else, only more directly and consistently. So rather than not listening to their own knowing, they truly can't hear it over the din. The steps I've outlined work in this situation as well. Instead of second-guessing, an empath would note when someone else needs, desires, knowing, or emotions becomes theirs, then work through the steps to begin honoring their own knowing by taking action on it. This will help not only convert their knowing into a tool which supports their own path, but it will help build boundaries which shields them from the onslaught of others. Each of us has the ability to access wisdom from both in and beyond the physical world. The question is, are you willing to incorporate it into your daily life? Only you can know. And that's all the time we have this week. If you're interested in knowing more, check out my website, akashicreading.com. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please consider supporting it by subscribing on Patreon. You can see all my other offerings and get regular updates about what I'm working on at patreon.com slash Thanks. Bye.